Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What do a 102nd birthday, steam engines under a bike seat, climbing dunes, and a super cool version of motorized ghost in the graveyard have to do with Muskegon? Well, you, my friends, are about to find out. Join me, Wendy Van Workham, Program Assistant here at the Lakeshore Museum Center as we examine the history of the Muskegon Motorcycle Club. Now, first things first, welcome or welcome back to our podcast. During our Muskegon History and Beyond podcasts, we like to explore little odds and ends of Muskegon history that some people might overlook. Some of you won't believe it, but as of the recording of this podcast, we have passed the 100th birthday of the Muskegon Motorcycle Club. I think a lot of people think that this club is new or modern, but in reality, it isn't. And it's your lucky day if you've stumbled upon our podcast because we are going to learn all about the history of the club and how it was formed right on through the early 1970s. But before we can do that, I think we need to establish a little bit of background history as to the evolution of the motorcycle itself before we can think of how the club came to be here in Muskegon. So if you're ready, here we go. A lot of people assume that motorcycles showed up in the early 1900s, but believe it or not, they actually show up even sooner. The typical person who gets the credit for the very first motorcycle is German car builder Gottlieb Daimler in 1885. He built a motor-powered bicycle, but then he added two side wheels to his design and it started to look a lot more like the beginnings of the car. He might get the credit, but he wasn't the only one trying to push the abilities of the humble bicycle. There was someone even earlier. In 1868, Sylvester Roper built a steam-powered motorcycle. Roper had worked in the Springfield Armory during the Civil War, which was what sparked his interest in steam power. His steam bike had a small vertical steam boiler right under the seat. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems risky to me, which might be why I'm not an inventor. The boiler powered two small pistons, which in turn powered a crank drive on the back wheel. To control the steam, Roper designed a throttle operated by twisting the bike's straight handlebar. Does that sound familiar? This twist grip control would continue to evolve and be reinvented by the likes of pilot Glenn Curtis and later by the Indian Motorcycle Company. In 1896, he passed away while clocking a remarkable 40 miles an hour at a Harvard bike track with a modified motorcycle. Now, he didn't die due to a crash, but he actually died due to a heart attack he had, which then caused him to crash his bike. Commercial motorcycles in the U.S. started in 1898 when Waltham Manufacturing put a French-made Didion engine on their heavyweight Orient bicycle. The evolution continued with Carl Oscar Hedstrom redesigning and improving the Dion engine in 1899. He then partnered with George Hendy, a bike maker, and together they replaced the drive belt with a drive chain. And in 1901, these two partners formed that Indian motorcycle company I mentioned earlier. Now, 1903 saw the birth of another classic motorcycle partnership, that of William Harley, 21 years old, and Arthur Davidson, 20 years old. I clearly wasted my 20s by not incubating some really fun ideas and inventions. 
Now, here's where it gets really fun and, to be quite frank, a little terrifying. Remember that 1896 respectable 40 miles an hour? Well, in 1907, aviator Glenn Curtis blew it out of the water by setting a land speed record of over 136 miles an hour. He did this with a Curtis-built 4,400cc V8 motorcycle. I'm going to admit that I'm not sure what exactly that means, but going 136 miles an hour in 1907 with nothing protecting you seems like an amazing, if not terrifying, and adrenaline-laden experience. Motorcycle manufacturers in the United States continued to evolve and grow, and then by 1914 there were actually 30 motorcycle manufacturers in the U.S. Indian was the largest, and they exported worldwide. Other manufacturers before the Depression era were Excelsior, owned by Schwinn Bicycles, Henderson, Ace, Yale, Cleveland, Pierce, which was the same as Pierce Arrow, Flying Merkit, Cyclone, Ivor Johnson, Thomas, Orient, Curtis, Royal, and of course Harley-Davidson. Now, the only manufacturers to survive the Great Depression were actually Indian and Harley-Davidson. So... Now that you know a little bit about the history of motorcycles here in the U.S., how about we take a look at how that translated to Muskegon. In the early days, there were many shops that sold various types of motorcycles from manufacturers. So what that looked like was this. The Dam Hardware Store on Ottawa initially sold Harleys. Tom Wood sold Indian motorcycles. Hanson sold Yale machines. Arndt's Sporting Goods on Western sold Excelsior, and the Folder Boys sold Pope motorcycles. During those early years when motorcycles were first coming out, it was not unusual to see 15 to 20 riders headed down Lakeshore Drive, which was one of the most popular runs during this time. There just weren't a lot of paved roads outside the city proper, so a lot of people were testing both the riders and the machines on sand. So West Michigan was the perfect place to do this. Eventually, a strip of Apple Avenue was paved with gravel, and it kind of became a drag strip. Now, a lot of these early riders got involved in a club in Grand Rapids because there just wasn't one here in Muskegon yet. And during that time, endurance runs and hill climbs were very popular. Muskegon's own postal department employee, Michael DeYoung, actually did really well in these early competitions. Along with recreational uses, motorcycles were very quickly adopted by local law enforcement. The Department for the City of Muskegon, Fruitport, the County Sheriff, all of them had motorcycles in their fleets of vehicles. Also, on a fun side note, so did the local truant officer. He was charged with going out to find students who were skipping school, and he would return them riding on the back of his motorcycle. Now, some have hypothesized that perhaps these students skipped school just so that they could hitch a ride. Let's take a little bit of a look at how the club was actually formed. This is an interesting topic because as I was doing research, it looks like the club adopted a constitution, according to the Muskegon Chronicle, in March of 1912. And then we see a note in an article about the fact that they established an emblem in 1915. But then we get to this other note in anniversary booklet that I was using for research. And it said they didn't charter with the American Motorcycle Association until 1925. But then again, in the newspaper in the Chronicle, it says that they chartered with the AMA on August 17, 1920. So the official birthday is considered August 17, 1920. 
no matter which date you pick or how you look at it, what is clear is that the Muskegon Motorcycle Club is one of the oldest surviving clubs in the country. If anyone can clear up this little research discrepancy, let me know, because I really want to know which kind of date it is and what that process looked like. Now, this club was formed for the purpose of promoting local tours, hill climbing contests, and to bring about a more friendly feeling among the general public for the motorcycle. Their first officers were listed in the newspaper as President Nick Rillema, Vice President Delvin Gregg, Treasurer Charles Cutler, Secretary V. Rust, Road Captain L. Sam, First Lieutenant J. Hullbeck, Second Lieutenant W. Brandt. Now there's one very important name missing from this list. He actually wasn't one of the officers, however, he was one of the people who was instrumental in starting the club. And that person is Dan Raymond. Dan was born in 1891 and he grew up on his family farm in Grant, Michigan. He bought his very first Harley Davidson at the age of 24, paying less than $300 for it and setting it up himself. His first ride was a few turns around his family's five-acre hayfield and then he hit the road. Now, this was just the beginning of his love affair with motorcycles. When World War I hit, it kind of paused the development of the motorcycle club and Dan ended up joining the 7th Army Corps. He apparently wrote a letter to the War Department stating that he was a farmer who rode motorcycles and knew how to fix them and that he wanted to get into the Army. So in the Army, that's exactly what he did. He serviced motorcycles, and on his discharge papers, it did say that he was a special inductee. Now, after the armistice, Dan stayed with his unit in Germany until he was discharged in 1919, and when he returned to Muskegon, that is the point at which he started to sell motorcycles. He owned a dealership for 42 years, and he actually didn't sell that dealership until 1961, when he was 70 years old. In that first dealership, Dan offered up his shop as an early meeting space. He and his brother Ellis and six other men really were the ones who started the club. Now early on they did all sorts of activities like motorcycle polo games, they organized rides, they had races in other communities, and they did what were known as enduro races. These races were extremely popular in the early motorcycle history. The reason that they were popular is because they were these strenuous extended races and they were designed to test the reliability of the vehicle and also the rider. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So one example in our area of this is the Jack Pine Enduro. So riders for this race gathered from seven different states and they were out on a cross-country trail of over 500 miles. And just to give you an idea of how strenuous this race was, in 1929, of the 91 riders who started, only 41 actually completed it, and Dan was one of those. Out of 1,000 possible points he could have scored, he actually accumulated 988 for the win. He won the year previous in 1928, he won in 1932, and he won in 1933. And he didn't lose in 1931, which if you were paying attention, I missed. 
he actually tied for first place. So in essence, he won five of these races kind of in the history of its original format, which was from 1915 to 1980. So this is pretty amazing because this record that he set, it was never actually beaten and only two other people were able to equal it. For any gearheads out there who want to know what he did it on, they said in the records that he wrote a slightly modified, rigid-framed VL 74-inch Harley-Davidson V-Twin. Again, not going to pretend I know what all that means, but I know some of you are going to want to know. Another type of race that the motorcycle club participated in was hill climbing. West Michigan is a great place to hill climb with all of our dunes. Very early on in the club's history, in 1921, they started leasing Mount Garfield and 30 acres of the surrounding area. On that property, there was a farmhouse, and that became the official clubhouse in 1921. There was a celebratory hill climb that year. There were around 50 spectators. And then later, at the completion of the sale in 1923, they had an even bigger hill climb with even more people in attendance. Eventually, they kept building up the hill and by 1929, the American Motorcycle Association made Muskegon the official site of its national championship hill climb. Now, the club still does hill climbing today every other year in August. The Great Depression really changed both the motorcycle clubs and their manufacturers. By the end of it all, we know that only Harley-Davidson and Indian motorcycles survived. And of course, today, the only surviving U.S. manufacturer is Harley-Davidson from that original 30. Now, even though the Depression was going on and things were hard, the Muskegon Motorcycle Club continued to grow and continued to meet, and it was said that those meetings were fun, loud, and energetic. Memories of early club members said that the men met downstairs in the farmhouse and the women upstairs, and afterwards, they might go downtown to the Old Bunny Inn for a bite to eat, or they might play what sounded like an epic game called Chase the Goat. Would you like to know how they played? Let me tell you. According to the 75th anniversary booklet, the game consisted of one rider turning off his headlight and taking off. After a 10 second head start, the others would then chase him down and see who could find him first. It kind of feels like an epic motorized version of Ghost in the Graveyard. And quite frankly, I think I would like to participate. Also during this time, a few members, Bud Wood, Hugh Hislop, Jim Kohler formed an informal dirt track team called Hislop Racing. They would ride out to small county fair tracks around the tri-state area to do different races. On arrival at these tracks, they would remove their fenders, their headlight, mirrors, and then of course they would disconnect their brakes. That's right, I said they would disconnect their brakes. So just a note for me here, I have no idea why, but it was said in the research that I found that these bikes were ruled to be brakeless for these races. So it was an actual rule that that's what they had to do. I would love it if anyone has an explanation to put in the comments because as stated before, I'm probably a little too conscious to want to disconnect my brakes and then go race a motorcycle, but I'm curious. Now, sometimes the whole club would go to different races. One of the races was an AMA gypsy tour race that happened in Ionia every summer. At these races, there were often all sorts of fun contests, and they were for clubs and individuals. And one of the contests was the smartest dressed club, which Muskegon evidently often won. Their uniforms during this time were navy blue with gold piping, knee-high boots, police-style caps, and then the club also had banners that they would take along. 
During World War II, you see a pause in the motorcycle club as well. A lot of the members went off to fight for our country. And if you go to Mount Garfield today, there's a monument to those members who gave their lives for their country at its entrance. Upon their return, however, the club continued to grow, not just in members, but in property too. In 1946, the club purchased the Brighton property in Grant, and they eventually renamed it the Dan Raymond Memorial Park in 1985 or so. In the 1950s, the club started doing TT racing at this site, which is a type of flat track racing. They also did enduros, and they would go on road and poker runs as well as a group. Also in the 1950s was one of my favorite activities that took place that I researched, but it wasn't actually a club activity. It was an individual club member who did this. I mentioned that there were women in the club earlier in this podcast, and one very important woman was Gay Raymond. She was Dan Raymond's wife. In 1955, and again in 1959, Gay decided to take a solo road trip from Muskegon to California. When she was elected as the American Motorcycle Association's most popular girl rider in 1972 at the age of 69, many people attributed her popularity to the people that she met on these two rides. The reason she went on the second ride was because she had actually been invited to the 1959 National Convention of the Motor Maids in Santa Ana, California. This was a national organization for female motorcycle enthusiasts, which had been founded in 1948, and Gay was also a member. She made many lasting friendships on both runs, and believe it or not, Dan wasn't actually the one who had introduced Gay to motorcycles. That honor belonged to her sister and her brother-in-law, and she loved him. Now, she and Dan met at a restaurant at which she worked, and they courted for six years before they got married. During that time, Dan helped her to learn how to solo ride on a 1926 Harley JD. He eventually got her her own motorcycle and helped to make sure that she had time to ride and the road skills to do it as well. My favorite quote from Gay about riding was in a newspaper article that she gave in 1972. And in it, she says, when I first rode a motorcycle, people said it wasn't ladylike. I've ridden a motorcycle a lot of years, and I certainly consider myself a lady. Now, when we get to the 1960s and 70s, we don't have as much information about the club, but we know it continued to grow. Today, the club still hosts the hill climb every other year on the even years and is involved in the community in many other ways. Their mission as a club is to promote the motorcycle lifestyle, to protect the future of motorcycling, and their family-oriented and community-minded club. Safety and respect are their main focuses as their members enjoy riding events from street to track to trail. Now, I can't share everything that I found while doing research, but I did want to share a few more little tidbits with you. One thing that I realize hasn't changed about motorcycles is that it can be dangerous to ride them. Not all that danger comes from the bike itself or even from the rider, but often due to other drivers on the road. In at least one incident, Dan himself was hit by a farmer driving a tractor. And while I was researching for the podcast, I actually found throughout the Muskegon Chronicle in the 1920s and 30s that there were numerous lists and accounts of injuries and crashes. That being said, just because it can be dangerous doesn't mean it always is. Gay Raymond, who clocked around 500,000 miles, actually never had an accident herself. Another favorite article that I found was from May 23, 1921, and the headline read, Seven Speedsters Arrested on Sunday. 
Evidently, it was the inauguration of Safety Week, and I'm guessing this was a 1921-style speed trap. Included in the seven was none other than Dan Raymond and some other members of the motorcycle club. So even though the article doesn't state that the people were on motorcycles, I'm thinking that it might be the case. Also, can I just say there's nothing like being named by name in the newspaper for having a traffic violation. The club and its story are pretty amazing parts of Muskegon's history. And as I said before, I think it's pretty special that we have one of the oldest surviving American Motorcycle Association clubs in our area. It's really special. I hope that this club is around for another 100 plus years to continue this story. Do you have a story to share about the motorcycle club? If so, give us a call or leave it in the comments. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Muskegon History and Beyond. Ride safe, and if you're not riding, watch out for those motorcycles. Hope to have you back later.